0: I feel so privileged when Pastor James asked me to begin our We Are Family series. Um, Before I do that, I want to pray, then remind you about a few of the things the Lord has spoken. Father, I thank you for my Bethel family. I thank you, Lord, for the thousands upon thousands watching us online today. I just thank you for Pastor James, God, this amazing team and church, how you're using them, God, in Nashville, throughout Tennessee, and really around the world. I'm just so thankful, Lord, to be a member of this church, Uh, so thankful to serve on the elder board. I bless this church. I bless Pastor James. I bless the city of Nashville and the state of Tennessee, Lord. Amen. On December 31st, 2018, I had the privilege of speaking at uh, the Bethel New Year's Eve service. It was an unusual night, and that night the Lord spoke a number of things to me, and I spoke prophetically to the church. Pastor James has emailed that to many of you, it'll also be available right on the Bethel um, website. That was the night the Lord showed me just New York City being crushed, the whole nation being shaken economically. Many of you have heard me allude to that and the Lord kept speaking to me 17 months, 17 months, and I knew, okay, we're coming into major crisis in 17 months. But I wanna talk about a few other things Toward the end of the word, I spoke this that night. I, I talked about and invited Bethel. Will you join me on the journey of a lifetime? And I began to describe a time in our country which would be characterized by tremendous polarization, um, division, pain, fear. Um, many would be saying that, you know, the country is just going to fall apart. And that spoke by the Holy Spirit that night and said, if Bethel would live as one during that moment of time if this great multi-ethnic church could rise up as one man, one woman, multiple nations involved, God would use us in an amazing way. I also said, do not be afraid of what doomsayers might say. Don't be afraid like, oh gosh, this is the end, we're doomed. I said, no, we're going to have revival. And I believe that. So before I share this message, I want to talk to you personally today. Um, Not just as an elder, not just as a leader in this house, but as a white American male. I wanna talk to you about my journey. Um, We all have a journey. Um, I did not grow up in a a wealthy family, except in God. And my mom and dad pastored um, the same church for decades in a a pretty tough gang area. Um, The homeless came, uh, a third of the church were alcoholics, drug addicts, Um, the church, was predominantly white when I was growing up. In the years to come, it would become a, a thriving multi-ethnic church, but I'd grown up by then, but I, I grew up with just astonishing parents um, who were so loving and so kind. I then moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina to serve in the 82nd Airborne Division, and um, God had called me to the ministry early, and in the 1980s, I moved to the city of Rocky Mountain, North Carolina to pastor. Um, now, I tell this story not because it makes me special, but because it makes me responsible. And when I moved uh, to the city of Rocky Mount, God began to educate me and give me at least a small measure of understanding of the plight of African Americans. And when I say a small measure of understanding, because to my African American brothers and sisters, although I've seen your pain and heard of your pain, and prayed through your pain, I'll never fully understand it. But I'll share my story. Uh, Rocky Mount, in some ways, um, felt like the land time forgot. Uh, when my wife and I moved there, there was still not a private pool an African American could belong to. Um, they weren't welcome in the country clubs. There was one public pool. I mean, I'd never really seen a place like that before. And in the middle of that, God, by his mercy, used myself and our leadership team, one of which was an incredible man who'd been radically saved, grew up in Oakland, African-American, he and his wife, and God had radically saved him and called him to ministry. And a a thriving multi-ethnic church began to grow up in the midst of that. It didn't make most people happy, and I'm just so privileged when I think of the people in my church. Um, Some of the church mothers, um, one of them, her name was Ivy May, and her husband was an extraordinary African-American professor. A mid-march with Dr. King, um, she'd been there in Montgomery, she'd walk through the, the, the bus strike, and they educated me every week about the plight of African Americans and civil rights. Uh, there, are, there are things that I'll never forget. My astonishing EA, who was the wife of one of my best friends, Chris, the assistant pastor, who would be left in the bank for an hour because no one waited on African American. The fact that When my dear friend Chris bought a house in a middle-class neighborhood, he was highly educated, West Point graduate. A for-sale sign went up in every house in the neighborhood. I'll never forget him weeping. And it was there in Rocky Mount that I first, I think, began to grasp my African-American brothers and sisters that as a black person in America, your world is just different than mine. And it still is. Like, what's that have to do with me? Well, really, everything. Because people like me, white Americans, created a world, created a country where it's simply still far harder to be African American than white American. You know, it's interesting when you look in the scripture, there's not just the individual guilt we all bear for sin. There's a sense of corporate responsibility. In the book of Daniel, chapters 9 and 10, when Daniel prays and he, he starts praying about idol worship and rebelling against God, he does not say they, he says we, like he identifies with his forebears, He identifies with his people. And when I look at my family, I'm sad to say there were slave owners in my family. I'm sad to say there were clansmen in my family, that hundreds and hundreds of my family members fought for the Confederacy, basically to perpetuate a way of life with slavery at the very center of it. I also had relatives that fought for Union, like many white people in America, I had both. What does it have to do with me? Everything. I own it. I lament the fact, brothers and sisters, that the world you live in in America is still far different than mine. You know, I traveled the world in every nation. In a nation after nation, I've had to face the reality of the white man's burden. Like, what do I mean about the white man's burden? What do I mean by those words? Well, in the end of the 1890s, Ruppler Kipling wrote a poem called The White Man's Burden. And it was basically cajoling the United States to basically become imperialistic and colonize other nations for their own good in particular the Philippines. So we had the Philippine-American War and we went into the Philippines, lied to them, promised we'd never colonize them, colonized them, burned their villages, fought them. Some years ago, I stood before the closest people to the president of that country, his cabinet, and I stood them and I said, my relatives lied to you. I own that, that was wrong. We sinned against you. You say, well, how did you sin, Jim? I own what white Americans have done. I own it. Now, my African-American brothers and sisters, I say today, I acknowledge that America is still a different country for you than for me. I'm sorry for that. Maybe if you're white Americans, you well, there's good things about our ethnicity. That's true. There's good and bad things about every ethnicity, but that's not my point today. Let me say this as well to my white American brothers and sisters. You may be saying, well, well, I'm not a racist, Pastor Jim. I mean, I I would never, that's fine. Only God knows what's in our heart. But here's one of the verses of Scripture I've really considered. Jesus is talking, and this is what he said. He said this, he said, "You, you stop listening, and when you stop listening, you stop seeing and your heart became calloused, and you could not heal. You see, one of the dangers of, of being in a multi-ethnic church and one of the, the dangers that I have of just walking with African-American brothers, sisters, friends I mean, I'm just privileged. It's one thing to go through pain. It's a whole nother matter to see it secondhand. And if I'm not careful as a white American. Even though all I've known for decades is multi ethnic Christianity, if I'm not careful, I'll stop really seeing the pain of my black brothers and sisters and I'll stop listening. And if I do, my own heart might grow calloused. And I ask God every day keep me tender, keep me sensitive to the plight of African Americans. It's my great privilege to call Bethel my home church. I've been involved here decades. It's my great privilege to walk in multi-ethnic family. To my African-American brothers and sisters, forgive me for any moment my heart's become calloused, that I've not seen clearly enough, heard clearly enough. I wanted to say those things before I shared the message that Pastor James asked me to share. It's the beginning of our We Are Family series. And it's the first message in the series, and I've entitled it, Is it possible? Is it possible for a multi-ethnic church, not just black Americans and white Americans, but Hispanic Americans, Asians Americans, and, and dozens of different nationalities in our church, in a day of such polarization, such division where people are afraid and angry, can we really do this? Is it possible that somehow Bethel can truly become not just a multi-ethnic church, but a multi-ethnic family? Here's the promise I want to give you today in Psalms 133, 1-3. One Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded a blessing. What does that mean? when family dwell in unity when siblings brothers and sisters really come into unity unity two things happen one there's anointing and two there's atmospheric change what do i mean by that he said when my people come into unity it's like the anointing oil that poured down on aaron the high priest if we'll allow god to truly make us one to go beyond our fear to go beyond our pain to bring us to a new depth of unity it will release an anointing, not just in your lives, but on this city. Secondly, it says when God finds unity, it's like the dew on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the, kind of the tallest mountain in Israel. And its ecosystem would affect all of Israel. The dew would come and down and water Israel. What is God saying? When my people have unity, it can change the atmosphere around them. In a world filled with division, in a world filled with fear, not just America. In a world filled with classism. Is it possible that God could do something in Bethel and our greater every nation family? That would just transcend that. And not only could we begin to exemplify what it means for God to truly touch racism, but there would be such a family and such a love that it would change the atmosphere around us. Now, what is the problem with that? You know, typically when we think of the early church, we tend to idealize it. Oh, it was wonderful. It was amazing. They had Pentecost. And that was true. But when it came to oneness, they had their problems. I mean, you cannot escape it. It was filled with ethnic tensions. In Galatians 2, 11 through 14, Paul recounts a time when Peter the apostle came and visited the church in Antioch. And when he came, he would fellowship, whether you were Jew or Gentile, didn't matter what nation you were. And if you ever read your Bible, there was tremendous tension between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews would not even go into the house of a non-Jew. It was unclean. They had been persecuted. They had been ethnically cleansed. They had been destroyed for centuries by Gentile nations. They hated them. Yet God was doing something where Jews and Gentiles were just fellowshipping. And when Peter came down, he had fellowship with the Jewish brothers and sisters, the Gentile brothers and sisters. But all of a sudden, some of those came down from the main ship in Jerusalem that didn't like Gentiles. And the minute they got there, Peter was so afraid about what his ethnicity would say. He no longer fellowship with Gentiles. No longer did it. The church couldn't believe it. Pain was ripping through the church. How could this man, our leader, who says he loves all ethnicities, no longer eat with us? No longer fellowship? It got so bad that in the middle of a church supper, the apostle Paul got up and rebuked him and said, you're wrong not to eat with your Gentile brothers and sisters. Oh, filled with pain. It wasn't easy. There were class tensions. When you look in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 22, and get all those warnings about communion and not understanding the body of Christ, this is the reality. In their feasts, in their dinners, which preceded their fellowship meals, communion, the rich people had tons of food, had a special table, enjoying all their class, enjoying all their privileges. Why, the poor and the slaves and the broken in the congregation? We're starving. Paul rebuked him. He said, it'd be better that you didn't even have communion. I mean, if that was not enough, the early church was filled with nationalistic tensions. You can read Acts 2, 5 through 11, on the day of Pentecost and find out just how many nations were represented. That was all well and good, and you get to Acts 6. And all of a sudden, the Hellenistic Jews—that means Jews who basically were not born in Israel, who did not live in Israel, had come for Pentecost and joined the church—they were angry. They were saying, "Listen, unless your mama was born in Israel, she ain't treated right here. That somehow, if you just weren't born in Israel, if you were like weren't born in God's chosen land, you don't matter." That in the early church, which would sweep the Roman world by early 300s they had tensions there were deep ethnic tensions between jews and gentiles there were deep class tensions in the book of james the apostle james warns passages, that listen how dare you treat rich people one way and poor people another how dare when rich people come you make them a special seat in church nationalistic tensions Many of the nations of the world hated each other at the time. What's the answer to that? You say, well, Pastor Jim, that doesn't sound a lot different than the day we live in. Many times here in America, we live in a bubble. I'm here to tell you, beloved, there are ethnic tensions, demography tensions, class tensions, nationalistic tensions all over the world what is the answer to that how does Bethel rise above that what's it going to take I'm going to suggest five things to you today first of all it's going to take investigation in the whole context of 1st Corinthians 11:20, 20 it talks about this is what Paul says whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord let a person examine himself then ain't. I have to ask the Holy Spirit to examine my heart. Is there bias in my heart? Is there prejudice in my heart? Oh, not just toward ethnicity, toward another nation. Maybe it's political bias. Maybe I don't like that political party. And I want to encourage you, no matter what nation you're from, no matter what your ethnicity is, ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. What's hiding in your heart? Because it will eventually come out. Maybe it's toward gender. Maybe it's toward a political party. Maybe an ethnicity. Maybe a nation. When you look into the wide world, it's not just about ethnicity. There are nations across the planet being shaken over religious hatred. Let him examine our hearts. And may I encourage you To begin to study and learn about your brothers and sisters. I started reading a book in March. It's a pretty powerful biography about Frederick Douglass. One of the first great real champions. One of the greatest speakers in the 1800s. A man who had been a slave and rose to become an abolitionist, an extraordinary orator. By David Blight. I've recently been reading a book called The Burning by Tim Madison about what happened in Oklahoma. What happened there? Why do I do that? Because if I'm going to walk in true oneness and friendships with my brothers and sisters, I've got to understand them. You say, is Bethel a colorblind church? Heck no, we're not. I'm not blind to the fact that Bethel is made up of different experiences different pain and if i'm going to walk with my brothers and sisters i need to understand that but it is going to take inspiration as well it says in first corinthians 12 12 and 13 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one body we were all baptized into one body jews greeks slaves are free well let's stop there and made the drink of one spirit what is paul saying we've got this thing called the body of christ you realize in the early church, there were not just Jews and Gentiles. There were not just different nationalities. There were freedmen and slaves. That means in a church service, there could be slaves, free men. There could be rich, poor, every type of tension. And Paul said, I'm calling that the body of Christ, and we know. He said this. But if this is going to work, if there's going to be this type of pain present, these issues nationalistic demography, ethnic, religious, we better drink of the same spirit. What's that mean? You best be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit not just to examine our heart. You see, in the end, it doesn't just take inspiration, it takes perspiration. To study to pray to cry out God fill me with your love Fill me with your spirit God move on my heart in such a way that I can walk in unity with my brothers and sisters We're so blessed to be here in Bethel So blessed to be a part of that church, but I realize If I'm going to be the husband I need to be, the father I need to be, the grandfather I need to be, the pastor I need to be, the Bethel member I need to be, the friend I need to be, I've got to be filled with the Spirit. I've got to have the love of God. I've got to walk in such a way that God's Spirit can touch me. And really, it takes involvement. It says in Acts 2.46, And day by day, they were attending the temple together (coughs) and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I appreciate online church, but I sure love coming together. What does it take to build family? Not just watching together, being together. And as much as I appreciate online church, There's nothing like being in the physical presence of my brothers and sisters, enjoying the God who says where two or three of you gather, I am in the midst. I'm in that space. I said earlier, I'll never fully understand the pain of my African-American brothers and sisters. And if I understand it at all, yes, God's spirit has touched me. Yes, I've read. When I think of the tremendous African-American leaders that I'm privileged to watch with, many of you know Pastor Tim and Michelle Johnson. Like my own blood. We've walked together decades. Brett Fuller and Cynthia Fuller, years they've walked. James and Debbie Lowe, I could go on and on. Why do I say that? It's because of the privilege of walking for decades with my African-American brothers and sisters that I can begin to glimpse the fact that the America I love is different for them than it is for me. Well, you may say, well, it's better than it was. Better than it was isn't enough. Many say, well, Pastor Jim, we're like back to the the 1960s again. I lived through the 1960s. It may not be that intent, but here's what God told me. He said, you're walking back through the 60s because I'm going to finish what I started then. God's doing surgery on the sin of racism in America. And to me, it's not because I've read about it. It's not because I've heard about it. It's because I've seen its reality mirrored in the eyes of my African-American friends. I don't have to be afraid when my my kids are out at night. My African-American friends, many times they are afraid. I'm so sorry for that. I'm sorry for the world you live in. That's why this will never be a colorblind church. It just won't be. Because God's not that way. He says every tribe and tongue and nation come together. For those of you who are African American, thank you for not quitting. Thank you for still loving. Fourth, I want to talk about the whole principle of identification and identity. Acts, pardon me, Galatians 3.26 is a powerful verse. Galatians 3.26. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, first of all, what that doesn't mean. Let me tell you what doesn't mean. Further, it doesn't mean that we don't have different ethnicities. I'm white American. There are African Americans here, Hispanic Americans here, Asian Americans here, and scores of nations. I think there's 60 nations represented in Bethel. So it doesn't mean we don't have different identities. There's neither slave nor free. That doesn't mean we don't have different demographics that doesn't mean there aren't some people in the world freer than others there's no male or female that doesn't mean there really aren't male and female what does it mean so what doesn't here is what it means how many of you heard of identity theft where all of a sudden your accounts can be emptied your passwords are gone and it's like your identity is stolen and this is not an easy word to hear, but in 1 Peter 2.9, speaking of Christmas, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What does that mean? That means in the end, God is not just out to have a multi-ethnic church. In the end, God is looking for a group of people whose highest point of identity is not their gender, is not their demographic, is not their nation, it's not their ethnicity, It is Christ. Through my first birth, I was born a citizen of the United States. I was born Caucasian, although I have quite a background, Scotch, Irish, English, French, Welsh, Potawatomi, and a bit of Cherokee, that's hard to see. That that was my first birth. I appreciate it. You have a first birth. You were born in a country, maybe it was Nigeria, maybe it was Germany, maybe it was the United States, maybe it was China. Maybe it was Japan. Maybe it was Singapore. You have a first birth. You're male or female. You have an ethnicity. But in that process of that night, I heard the Holy Spirit say this, December 31st, rise up to your new birth. And so what I've had to say is, Lord, help me how I think about everything in America. Help me to think about it not as a white man, but as a Christian man. You say that's radical. No, no, that's the Bible. And that's, I've seen the world so differently. How would Christ think, see, vote, do? So Paul's appeal is not that we deny our first birth, it's that we value our second birth. I am a Christian. Paul was hated by his own ethnicity despised by them, persecuted by them, hounded by them, so we could reach people like you or I. What am I saying? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. What has to guide my heart when I look at every issue, my question is, what would a Christian do? And lastly, intercession. Ezekiel 22:30 says, I sought for some human who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy. I found none. God said, I'm looking for someone to pray. You may think, well, Pastor, praying's not enough. No, it's not enough, but don't underestimate it. You say, Pastor, do you believe in protest? Absolutely, I do. It's a fundamental American right. I'm so blessed by Pastor James. Leading us in prayer marches night after night in Nashville. Oh no, I believe in it, but do not underestimate the power of prayer as well. Do not underestimate it. it says in Ephesians six, ten through twelve and eighteen, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, <clears throat> that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers. Over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. What am I saying? Whether it's racism and the very knife of God is cutting at that in the heart of our nation, whatever it might be, it's not just about flesh and blood, it's not just about humans. We know there is a very spiritual battle that comes to lie and make us afraid. And yes, I believe in protesting, but I also believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of intercession because there's a very real devil that lies and prays upon the human heart. You know what he's saying? Well, I've prayed enough. Oh no, we've never prayed enough. You can never intercede enough. Let me stop and say this now. Bethel, it is your hour. Black American, white American, Asian American, Hispanic American, whatever nation you were born in, why you're here, male, female, senior citizen, teenager, child, rich, poor, this is our hour. Can we rise above our pain and claim his name? Can we somehow by staying filled with the Spirit and loving God and loving one another and praying and walking together as Christians. Oh no, not colorblind. Oh no. We see ethnicity. Yet, never losing sight of our calling. Never losing sight of who we are. Let me Share this one thought with you again. December 31st, 2018. Bethel, join me on the journey of a lifetime. Bethel, join me on the journey of a lifetime. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for my Bethel family. I bless them. I thank you for them. Lord, it is such a privilege to walk with my Bethel family, my greater every nation family. An hour of turmoil, an hour where the country seems so fragile, things are polarized, people are afraid. You've called us to rise up as one man, one woman. You've Cry called us to rise up as a multi-ethnic people, as Christians, known by our love for you and one another. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you, my Bethel family.